From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, it's Thursday, September 22nd, and this is Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Earlier today, House Republican Leader Kevin McCarthy announced the GOP's commitment to America. Now, this document, which will be unveiled in its entirety tomorrow at an event in Pennsylvania, contains a broad range of policies which are aimed at helping America's families. Now, this, if this will happen, if the Republicans are given the majority by voters in November. The White House and the Democrat majority in Congress control Washington. They're in charge. This is their record. And yet, they want you to give them two more years of power. But Republicans have a plan for a new direction, one that will get our country back on track. It's called the commitment to America. Well, one of the areas Republicans pledge to address is how the Democrats have weaponized banking to advance their leftist agenda. Now, if you're not sure what that looks like, it was on full display yesterday in a House Financial Services Committee when Michigan Democrat Rashid Tlaib had this exchange with the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. Does your bank have a policy against funding new oil and gas products, Mr. Diamond? Absolutely not, and that would be the road to hell for America. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine, sir. You know what? Everybody that got relief from student loans has a bank account with your bank should probably take out their account and close their account. Now, before you feel sorry for Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase, you know what? They've been doing a pretty good job on their own of pursuing woke policies. In fact, last week at the Prevote Stand Summit in Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia, Ambassador Sam Brownback announced that Chase Bank had canceled his organization, the National Committee for Religious Freedom. We have money in the bank account, and we were fired by our bank as their customer. Why? What did we do? Well, we won't tell you. The decision was made at corporate level. And then after pushing them for a while, they said, well, if you will disclose who you're going to back and what your criteria are for candidates you're back, then we will consider reestablishing your account. And we said... Okay, that's what's happening in America today. So here's the question. Can and will a new Republican majority put a stop to the weaponization of our financial system? Ohio Congressman Warren Davidson, a member of the House Financial Services Committee and the Select Committee on the Economy, will join me in just a moment. Also, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin is keeping his promise to empower parents when it comes to the education of their children. Parents should be the absolute primary advisor. And to, and to shut them out, to close them out of this doesn't make any sense. And that's why we pressed forward with, with these model policies that put parents in the primary role. We'll discuss this new policy with the Virginia Secretary of Education, Amy Gadara, later here on Washington Watch. And as we heard earlier this week from President Biden, the pandemic is over. Of course, power-hungry bureaucrats, fearful of losing power over the lives of Americans, were quick to challenge the claim. But for most people, life has been back to normal. So a report published in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine earlier this week is drawing some attention. The report shows that despite the fact that COVID lockdowns and isolations are over, major cases of depression continue to rise. In fact, according to the report, nearly one in five adolescents report being depressed. Now, this is one of the strongest risk factors for suicide. You know what? Alarm bells should be going off. This report makes clear COVID is not to blame. Global warming is not to blame. There's a deeper 
more fundamental issue that has been and continues to be driving anxiety and depression in our country, especially among our youth. Well, we're going to talk about it today with Dr. Jennifer Bowens, director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. The website is TonyPerkins.com. That's a play, great place to refer people to. They can actually watch the program there, and we have resources on the site for you as well. Today's word is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. It reads like this, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Solomon is basically saying this, whatever God has called you to do, do your very best. This is connected to the contentment that Solomon says is ours in verse 7 of the same chapter, where he says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. You know, as Paul told the Ephesians, do your work as unto the Lord and not men. You see, living and working for the Lord Jesus gives our lives meaning and purpose that is not just for those called to ministry. When I was a police officer doing my best as unto the Lord, that unlocked the purpose. You know, regardless of your occupation, doing it as unto the Lord releases purpose, which brings contentment. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. All right, executives from the country's top banks trekked to Capitol Hill this week for hearings on the economy and other industry issues. Some lawmakers, as we just heard, took this as an opportunity to lecture bankers on how to run their business. Now, this highlights a growing trend of how financial institutions are being used as a tool to silence the left's political opponents. The left is pushing financial institutions to adopt a destructive agenda known as environmental social governance, ESG. Join me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Warren Davidson. He serves on the House Financial Services Committee and the House Select Committee on the Economy. He represents Ohio's 8th Congressional District. Congressman Davidson, welcome back to the program. Good evening, Tony. Thanks for talking with me tonight. All right. For viewers and listeners who may not be familiar, walk us through what is meant by ESG, a definition of, of what they're looking for in this. Yeah, so people hear three letters, ESG, environmental social governance, uh, they're talking about, frankly, almost a religion, climatology, as I refer to it, uh, kind of embodied in the Green New Deal or things that push an agenda uh, from the left. And frankly, it's aligned with the Democratic Party. Not all Democrats believe it. Frankly, not all Democrats in Congress even believe it, but they're all voting for it. And it, it really, of this alliance between big business and big government, you know, some people call that historically fascism. The label is irrelevant. What's going on is you have this collusion between big businesses and big government folks, and they're trying to use the power of both to coerce uh, conformity to this set of ideas. Now, this set of ideas includes things such as abortion rights, uh, gender equity. So this could be possibly the proper use of pronouns. I mean, this thing is somewhat nebulous. And, you know, like I said, you can it could be almost defined by anyone to embrace almost any leftist idea. Yeah, I mean, the, kind of the collective ideas, people have started calling it woke or woke. Uh, I just say that it does have a heresy code because when you cross the line, they're ready to retaliate and take action, whether that's debanking you or canceling you in other ways, getting you fired. Um, the, these are people exercising power, and they will use the exact opposite to say, oh, well, you're threatening them. 
Well, the people that are getting everyone fired, wouldn't that tell you that they're the ones with the power and then they're using it? And I just think that when you talk about the financial system in particular, you know, the future of money to me is one of the most important policy debates in Western civilization. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. I'm going to get into some of the the levers that are being used by the left. But, you know, as we just heard this exchange by Rashid Talib in the committee with the CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, I mean, Chase Bank, as you just heard from Ambassador Brownback, canceled them. So some of this is being pursued by the institutions themselves. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's a, a, a nod. Hey, we can support you here, but we can't support you there. You know, Jamie Dimon's very publicly a Democrat, uh, but he's a Democrat that still believes in some form of capitalism. So he might share some of their goals, um, but at, at least he's rational and saying, look, this is going to destroy our, our, you know, our economy. He said the road to hell is paved with the idea that you're going to cancel uh, energy. I hope you would share that with the idea that you're going to use the financial system as a tool for coercion and control. If you look at all the dystopian futures, they all have this kind of corruption of money, uh, including what you and your viewers would share with me is the book of Revelation is scripture, not just a book. Um, yeah, but it's always depicted that way. It's an right. evil action. And so we should resist this because it is evil to kind of corrupt the money and use it uh, as, as this kind of filter to coerce behavior. I mean, you see you see this happening with credit cards. You see this happening with with banks canceling people. And you're absolutely right. I mean, how do you especially as we become more of a um, electronic monetary system where people are making transactions through cards and other means, you know, it becomes very difficult to engage in business. So in this commitment to America that uh, I know you and your colleagues uh, looked at today, uh, I was up on the Hill earlier in this week, took a, a look at at least the overview of it. Uh, what is contained in here that's going to address this issue that is driving a lot of conservatives, you know, out of the marketplace, or at least it's, it's designed to do that? I'd say there's two components of it that specifically we'll focus here. One is a, a government that's accountable. And I think that's where so many people are frustrated. You know, they see different standards applied to them than what's applied to Washington, D.C. People have been so frustrated because it seems that no one's really held to account in Washington, D.C., and, and frankly, for a long time, the question that a lot of us would get is, when's somebody going to jail? And, of course, Democrats wanted to know when Republicans were going to go to jail or Republicans want to know when Democrats are going to jail. Fundamentally, Congress can't put someone in jail. Uh, but it, whether it's jail or just actions like this, uh, they feel like there's not accountability. So one thing for sure that we can do uh, with a majority is we can hold the government accountable. And we still won't control the executive branch so we can't prosecute, but we can make it very public. And I think that's going to happen. And then we'll use the levers of power uh, to change some of the behavior with the regulators. So Joe Biden's not going to give this power up voluntarily. We're going to have to take it uh, by force of law. And for that to happen, people have to go vote. When you look at how government is being used, one of the initiatives by the left is to use the Federal Reserve uh, the central bank, uh, to impose ESG. I mean, the, the, there is a fundamental purpose. I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with it, but the central bank uses uh, their monetary policy to control. Right now, we're seeing this on display yesterday, raising interest rates by three-quarters of a per percent uh, percentage point to try to bring down inflation. But there are some in, in Congress that want them to do more. Explain that. 
Yeah, so if you look at the trend around the world, there's over 100 countries studying something known as a central bank digital currency. Um, and this is something that, that a particular version, the Chinese version, is what everybody's studying, including our central bank. Uh, this is different than, say, Bitcoin, which is a distributed ledger that has permissionless transactions, peer-to-peer -peer transactions like cash. They're looking at a system like China's version that is the creepiest surveillance tool known to man. It's centrally managed, centrally controlled. It's linked to a social credit system. So the, the central government, in this case, the Federal Reserve central bankers, would control every transaction. In that sense, they could begin to filter them. And, you know, you could say, well, we're not really doing that. We're just trying to keep us safe from illicit finance. And, uh, you know, it's the same sort of thing that the Patriot Act was initially just to stop the terrorism. And we all support that. But we saw how the power is a temptation for frail humans. Eventually, somebody is going to abuse it. And you saw those tools abused against Donald Trump's right. uh, candidacy and then his presidency. Well, and, and when we come back, we're up against a break, uh, Congressman Davidson. When we come back, I, I want to talk about actually legislation that the Democrats have introduced, actually passed the House, the Federal Reserve Racial and Economic Equity Act, which would do exactly what you're talking about, give this power to the Federal Reserve. So we're going to talk about that and some of the aspects of the commitment to America that was uh, rolled out today on Capitol Hill. So stick around. Folks, uh, don't go away. We're going to come back uh, with more of our conversation with Congressman Warren Davidson from Ohio. Also, just want to let you know, um, I appreciate all those who called the Senate switchboard to weigh in on Lindsey Graham's interview yesterday about protecting unborn children at the point of feeling pain. I'm going to talk more about that a little bit later. So stick around. More Washington Watch to come on the other side of the break. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. Uh, I want to play a clip from uh, Nancy Pelosi earlier today at her uh, weekly press conference, um, kind of going after Republicans. But, but uh, I mean, that's not unusual. But I want to point something out after the play. Play clip number three. The Republicans just keep revealing themselves. Democrats want women to be respect women and the women's right to choose and make decisions about family and and the rest and uh, the republicans that want to criminalize women's health care not true i mean you if you heard lindsey graham yesterday on on the program democrats want to legalize abortion through all nine months of pregnancy across all 50 states and they want you to pay for it that's what they want. They want to erase every pro-life law at the state level. Well, Senator Graham, as we talked about yesterday, introduced legislation proposing a national 15-week limit on abortion when a child feels pain. It's not the end. It's the beginning of the debate in pro uh, in post-Roe. And uh, he said, the, as, as Senator Graham said yesterday in the program, the worst outcome for the pro-life movement in America is for the Republican Party to surrender on the issue. So don't let them. Call your senators today. Many of you already did, and I thank you because I've heard. I've heard from the Hill. Your calls are making a difference. Give them a call, 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. Urge them to support Lindsey Graham's protecting pain-capable unborn children from late-term abortions. All right, we're continuing our conversation with uh, Congressman Warren Davidson of Ohio. He serves on the House Financial Services Committee and the House Select Committee on the Economy. Uh, Congressman, thanks for sticking around. I, I want to go back to the Federal Reserve, but first I want to give you a chance to respond to Pelosi's comments today because a part of the commitment to America uh, covers protecting unborn children and women. Yeah, we should be clear. Abortion isn't health care. It, it ends a life. It's a tragedy when an abortion happens. And, you know, the real question is, what limitations does Nancy Pelosi support? Uh, there are none. I mean, every single Democrat in the House has voted to oppose the Born Alive Survivors Protection Act. That's not even about abortion. This is a baby that's already been delivered, and they don't want to protect that life. Um, they don't want to protect life at conception or anything in between. The only thing that they want is abortion on demand. They won't even say safe, legal, and rare anymore for abortion. They want uh, unlimited, unfiltered, unrestrained abortion. And that's not where the American people are. 
And, and so, you know, I think we, we have to do, uh, you know, what you just said. We really, we worked 50 years together, uh, to end Roe v. Wade and to defend life. And if we won't defend this ground, the counterattack will, will lose it. Right. We'll lose it to the counterattack. So we should work together to make sure we hold the ground that we've worked for 50 years to take. Right. And, and of course, we can't count on the legacy media. They're giving, you know, like a megaphone. They're serving uh, the Democrats to uh, to attack Republicans on this. But the Democrats' position is what's extreme. As you just pointed out, they won't even say they'll draw the line at birth. All right. You've been critical of Federal Reserve. We were just talking about that and how the, the left is trying to use them to be a part of the levers of power to silence opposition. But tell us how the Fed is exercising, even now, power outside of its mandate. Well, one, they, they've, uh, at least Chairman Powell has said that they don't have the authority to launch a central bank digital currency, digital currency without legislation. So they've studied it. The Boston Fed did a study with, um, with MIT, and they've studied the central bank digital currency part of it. So the part they are working on is to use their power as a regulator, not to set monetary policy, but to influence bank policy uh, to push some of these other agenda topics. And so uh, whether that's, you know, essentially your banks uh, have been co-opted to spy on their customers, and that's a condition of being able to operate a bank. And then what do they do with that? Well, the Fed is trying to give them a pipeline of things to be looking for. And frankly, other criteria to either debank someone or to defund them or to raise their cost of capital. And they'll say, well, you know, you have reputation risk. Under the Obama administration, they called it Operation Choke Point. Either way, it's an unjust action by our banking regulators. Uh, and there has been some pushback. Some of the Biden administration and nom- nominees were so extreme they couldn't get through confirmation. And I was able to ask, um, you know, banks about one of those, Saul Amarova, who Sherrod Brown walked around. She was literally pushing for this in her own view, radical approach that frankly bypassed banks and just had the federal government operate the banking system. So, uh, Warren, so when you talk about the Fed kind of using this, you know, th- their power to influence banks, are, are they, is this a form of the ESG that they're uh, using? Yeah, if you want to call it ESG, and fundamentally it's their political agenda, you, ESG, woke, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, are other words that you'll put in there. And that's the thing with language, they're working to shift, you know, what they're doing. But fundamentally, it's all the it's all their agenda items. And it's a cooperation between big business and big government. And it was a little refreshing, at least on one of those topics, to see a big bank CEO, the biggest bank CEO, uh, push back and say, yeah, this is crazy. Uh, so hopefully that's a sign that, that uh, you know, kind of like in our communities, not all Democrats believe this. And as I've said, not even all the Democrats in Congress believe it. And so hopefully they'll stop voting for it. So they're, they're doing this without legislative authority. Absolutely. Uh, and they're picking people that will do it. And that's their uh, fealty test. Are they really on board with the cause? And unfortunately, in a lot of a lot of companies, the only way that uh, you get the interview for the C-suite is if you show fealty to the cause. And and so I think this is a real corrupting influence. Sometimes they call this uh, stakeholder capitalism. Right. And uh, we haven't changed the definition of a fiduciary. Your fiduciary duty, as whether it's a board member or executive in a corporation, is to the shareholders, the owners right. of the company. You should do what's in the best interest of the company. And whether you're talking the biggest hedge funds uh, or small publicly traded companies, banks or bank regulators, 
you're seeing people breach fiduciary trust to pursue political agendas. Now, we're, we're out of time, so we're not going to be able to pursue this. But the problem with the Fed is that they are self-funded uh, and they're not getting money from Congress. So without the purse strings, how do you rein them in? Well, this is one of the bills that I've got, which is the Federal Regulatory Oversight Accountability Act that would put that portion on appropriations. I think it would be a really important measure for us to restrain the Fed, and we really should rein them in. Is that something we'll look at in a new Republican majority? I certainly hope so. I mean, I'll continue to push it and certainly welcome co-sponsors. All right. Congressman Warren Davis, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Likewise. Thanks, Tony. All right. Coming up, new education guidelines in Virginia. As promised, it puts parents first. We're going to discuss that with the secretary of the Department of Education. On the other side of this break, stick around. A lot more Washington Watch still to come on this Thursday afternoon. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin recently fulfilled a campaign promise when he overhauled his state's transgender policy for public schools. The new guidelines forbid school officials from hiding students' gender transition from their parents. Now, that, you know, years ago you would have thought that would have never happened, but it's been happening all across America. In fact, it was a key issue in the election. But the guidelines are about more than gender identity, as they provide a firm endorsement of, guess what, the rights of parents. As the guidelines state, quote, schools shall respect parents, values, and beliefs. Parents are a child's primary and most important educator, end quote. 
You know what? That shouldn't be controversial, but it is. Joining me now to discuss this is Amy Gadara. She is the Virginia Secretary of Education. Uh, Madam Secretary, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. It's a pleasure to be with you and your viewers. Well, I want to begin by commending you and the governor for this. It was a policy that he ran on, and he backed up his campaign pledge with action. So I know and I've heard from parents in Virginia, they're thrilled by this. But uh, some on the other side are criticizing the move. Why? Uh, well, I think the press is doing a great job of also highlighting those few dis uh, detractors from this change. But we, we, like you, are hearing lots of positive reactions, especially from parents. Um, and I, uh, what we know is that parents matter. As you just read from the guide itself, this policy uh, reaffirms the rights that parents have to instill in their children and to nurture the values and beliefs that matter to their family. This is about reinforcing that parents matter that they have the rights in Virginia, as stated in our laws, and also as well as the U.S. Constitution, to make decisions around their own children's health, well-being, and education. And this whole guidance goes back and reinforces all of those rights one more time. Yeah, and I want to be clear on this because, you know, I know some on the, on the right is actually criticized because it allows a parent, if they want to, uh, to say that, you know, my child wants to use a gender or a pronoun that's different than their uh, sex at birth, but I, I I actually support the guidelines from because I do believe in parental rights. Even if if the parent may be wrong uh, on some occasion, it is not the child of the state. It is not the child of the government. It is the child of the parent, and the parent needs to be the final authority. That is absolutely right, and that is what the the laws in the state reinforce that message, um, and that these policies reinforce that parents have the ultimate rights, and there's a right to be. Form, and there's a right to make the final decision and to be consulted, especially in these most important issues. Right, as a mom, I cannot imagine my child going through a major change or having heart wrenching conversations without me being part of that. And what this guidance is about is restoring common sense. And what we all know as parents is that we that we have the best interests of our children at heart at all points. And to not be informed, to not be part of those conversations is absolutely wrong. Uh, it's law and is also immoral, and it goes against everything we know about the bond between children and parents. Yeah, Secretary Gadara, I, I can't imagine someone being opposed to this and how they could legitimately challenge it because it just simply says a parent should know, a parent has the right, and the parent is the final authority when it comes to the values guiding their children. But you've got some other challenges uh, besides the media and the critic. You actually have a, a couple of districts that seem to be bowing up to this. Uh, we do. And um, and our point that we're going to say to them time and time again is this is the law. This is what you need to do. Uh, and that this is vitally important. And, you know, I'm going to go back to experiences that I had uh, when I taught in Japan for a year. There's a Japanese saying that student achievement rests on a three-legged stool. And those in student well-being, not just achievement, but well-being. And those three legs of the stool are parents, the student themselves, and the school teachers. And what it's saying is that we need a strong relationship among all three of those legs of the stools. And sometimes when one of those legs is a little wobbly, the other two need to compensate and work together to make sure that the student is being well served. And there's a critical piece in this guidance that is about strengthening the strong bonds and partnership between home and schools and making sure that we are putting arms around our children and supporting them. And the prior guidance 
really was really tearing apart those bonds and that partnership. And what we're trying to do is build it together. And so what I would say to those divisions that are saying that they're not going to follow this is that they're being disruptive. They're not putting the interests of children uh, first. And they also are not building vibrant learning environments that respect and treat every single student with dignity and respect. So final question for you, Secretary Gadara. Do you think that uh, we're going to be able to get back to actually teaching our kids how to read and write in the classroom? Oh, honey, this is the number one issue that we want to talk about all the time. You know, in Virginia, we're dealing with some numbers that are not ones that people expected to see. I'll give you a couple. You know, 42% of our second graders are not on track to read independently by third grade. These are the issues we need to remember. This is about how we're going to show dignity and respect to our families and to our students. We're going to make sure that they can read, they can write, and they're prepared to be a productive member of society. We need to see every child. We need to meet every child where he or she is. And we need to do everything possible to support that child and to ensure that parents are central to making sure that child gets what they need and that they are partnered along with our schools to get children to where they need to get to. A very refreshing message. Uh, Secretary Gadara, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to see you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much, Tony. All right. Wow. That's a, uh, a radical idea that we're going to get back to the classroom in focusing on our children learning. You know what? This is Virginia, a very wealthy state. And you have some of these other states where they're having to, you know, choose between teaching, using the money to teach the kids the fundamentals and then all of this woke uh, ideology that's being pumped into the classroom the children are being indoctrinated with. It'd be amazing how competitive America would be if we would get back to the fundamentals. But you know, there's actually more to this. I think it's one of the underlying causes of the growing mental health issues in our country. We're going to talk about that next with Dr. Jennifer Valens. Don't go away. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Don't go away. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. 
Text S-T-A-N-D to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. I want to again uh, mention the Unborn, the Pain-Capable Unborn Children's Protection Act. Uh, This is the bill we talked about yesterday with... Senator Lindsey Graham, and I, I want to thank all of those uh, who made phone calls yesterday. It's certainly not too late uh, to contact your two senators and encourage them to support this. I mean, this is it, this is just common sense. You have the Democrats that want abortion legalized through all nine months, and as we were talking about earlier with Warren Davidson, you might recall the debate over the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. That was a child born that survived an abortion. They didn't even want to pr- provide health care to that child. That still has not made its way to the floor of the House for a vote. Nancy Pelosi has blocked it. That's pretty extreme. That's radical. So what's being proposed here is a place that, you know, in post-Roe America, I said this yesterday, I'll say it again, I've always said it, I'm pro-life from the moment of conception, and that's where we need to get to. We've come a long way in 49 years, but we're not there yet, and we've got to work to build consensus. And right now, there's consensus around this point of 15 weeks when a child feels pain. Medically, when they're doing a in utero procedure, they give the child anesthesia because they will feel pain. And so 72% of Americans believe that we should have limitations on abortion after this point. So this is a common sense place to start. And I emphasize start. And that's what Lindsey Graham said yesterday. So I would encourage you to call your senators at the Capitol switchboard, which is 202-224-3121, and urge them to support the protecting pain-capable unborn children from late-term Abortions Act. Again, that number, 202-224-3121. If you happen to miss that interview with Lindsey Graham, you can find it at TonyPerkins.com. All right, as Christians, and we talk about this a lot on the program, and Washington Watch is a program here in our nation's capital. I'm just a stone's throw from the Capitol. It was up there yesterday. Um, But we approach these issues from a biblical perspective. And as Christians, we know that we live in a broken world desperately 
and need of Christ's love and the peace and the purpose that he provides. Now, we see this daily with rising drug deaths and epidemics of depression, particularly among young people. I I quoted this statistic earlier in the week where last month, Customs and Border Patrol Protection seized enough fentanyl at the border for more than 500 million lethal doses of fentanyl. Now, this is just what they caught. But we know also that overdose fatalities related to fentanyl are now the leading cause of death for people aged 18 to 45 years of age. Now, why are they doing that? There's got to be an underlying issue. Well, add to that new research from the Columbia University and the City University of New York. In 2020, nearly one in 10 Americans reported having depression in the previous 12 months. Even more concerning, almost one in five adolescents or young adults reported the same. Now, experts are quick to proclaim a mental health crisis in our country, uh, but I think we're facing a spiritual crisis. Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Jennifer Ballins. She's the director for the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. Dr. Ballins has, has extensive clinical and research experience work working with survivors of trauma and abuse and has also taught on psychological trauma and research methods in several graduate programs. Dr. Ballins, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. I was alarmed by this. Uh, this is this is even after the COVID lockdowns and the isolations that we were told was driving anxiety and depression. That's over. But yet we're still seeing these numbers rise. What's behind this? Yeah, and I think it's important to note that it's not just uh, 2020 numbers. Like These trends have been going on. You know, from the early 2000s, and uh, we're seeing this uptick in depression, anxiety, um, suicide. And so we can't just divorce this discussion um, from a spiritual reality. You know, a lot of a lot of people in my profession would like to say, well, the answer is more services, more access to services. And the problem is that people don't have access to services. But. I would argue that that's not the case. Certainly, there may be some folks that aren't able to get access who want that. Um, but we're looking at much bigger issues in our society, and we can't blame it on COVID. We we can't um, just say, you know, it was the pandemic. It certainly didn't help matters. Right, right. <laughs> it was a contributing factor. But now that it's gone, it's, the, the problem is still here. And I was reading, you know, the American Journal of Preventative Medicine is where this uh, research was published in. And, of course, one of the things they talk about is you talked about uh, access to to care, but a lot of times that's pharmaceutical care. So we're just, I mean, sometimes we're just kind of covering it up. Yeah, that's right. Um, You know, medicating anxiety or medicating depression, um, which, by the way, the, the chemical imbalance theory has been turned over. And, you know, you see pharmaceuticals, once again, just looking for the profit but what, when you look at some of our social issues, Tony, it's like you see our attachment. Um, in other words, children who, who are securely connected to their family members, you see that tick down since the 90s. 
So in other words, let's just put it in practical terms. We're seeing um, uh, the, de- the, the devolution, I'll get it out eventually, the devolution of our family uh, right. structure. Right. And certainly that has an Which impact. Which was God's first safety net. Exactly, exactly. And then you see in the midst of children in the most uh, vulnerable times being injected with an ideology that brings further confusion. I mean, how many yeah, of us right. had confusion growing up and trying to figure ourselves well, out? Well, I mean, think about when, when we were growing up, a little bit different. I'm a little older than you. It's very different. But now, I mean, like you talk about the spiritual nature mm-hmm. of man. Man is spirit. All right. So there's a spiritual nature here. And, and, and we have, as believers, we know this, we're created with a, with a, with a vacuum that only God can fill. We used to have that, uh, all children had that, um, some exposure to it, but now we've relegated God in our schools. Let's take our schools, for instance. God has been relegated to after school programs at best, and you got to get parental permission just to go to that, where in the classroom, children are indoctrinated with this ideology that they can choose their sex, and parents aren't told about it. I mean, we've completely turned this thing upside down, and we're fueling the confusion and the uncertainty, and then we're surprised by the outcome. And here's the interesting thing, is that there's actual data from from some of these same um, researchers in the psychological field that show over and over again, spirituality has a protective factor against depression, anxiety, suicide, all of these things that we're, we're facing, even physical health. Um, our spirituality can have a, a great impact on, on our well-being. Let me ask you about that from a standpoint of, of both a professional clinician but then also as a Christian, is that not because when we have that connection with God, our life has a sense of purpose, and when we have that purpose, it enables us to to face challenges with a greater sense of confidence? Yeah, well, for one, Jesus is a person. He's not just in the Bible. I mean, the Bible is definitely our rudder and the, our go-to, but having a relationship with a person um, is very protective. And we know that from lots of other data that shows social support is very helpful. That eliminates <laughs> isolation right there. <laughs> exactly. So we have this great connection with a person who also brings to us, uh, what, what, do you, what does he say? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we're dealing with things, we have a place that the Bible says we, we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So we have a righteousness and a peace and a joy that cannot be moved in the midst of, of trouble. And it also, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. It, it, it helps us solve some of these issues. We don't have to really kind of wander around in darkness because he tells us what we need to do. Love right. our neighbor as ourselves. That's right. And he is our meaning. I mean, I know for me and I know for you as well, Everything that I do is based on my relationship with Jesus, and that is purpose, that is meaning. But you have kids who who are told, well, you have to make it up, which is re- really the root of humanism. Isn't that almost like child abuse to tell these kids that you have to determine what this is? You have to determine right and wrong. I mean, we, we it sounds like we're, you know, some make it sound like they're giving a, doing a kid a favor, but I mean, you're they're not in the position to even think what think through what that means, let alone come up with answers. Yeah, we've we've made children their own parents. And that's we know that from other literature and data uh, that that's not healthy. When you parentify a child who needs direction and correct that that is the role of the parent. Right. And so when you relegate that to the child, of course, you're going to have a mess. No, and no wonder we're seeing what we're seeing with Gen Z. Um, 
hopelessness, suicide, because they don't have any core sense of why am I here and who am I? Yeah, those fundamental questions that we're all seeking to answer. And when, I mean, you can't really answer them apart from God in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, I want to ask you if this is contributing to the anxiety and the depression as we get into adolescence because of the, and, and you, 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 you know, I've talked about this before because you saw this as you were teaching, how fragile uh, kids are today. You know, they, they can be triggered. I mean, you've got to give trigger warnings because you might hurt their feelings. I mean, it's like, it's like we're raising porcelain dolls. And, I mean, why then are we surprised that they're fragile? Yeah, and this is something that I, I wish our schools would um, teach how to have healthy relationships, how to manage your emotions. Um, I mean, if we're going to go into the psychological spheres, why not teach children how to have relationships or at least, you know, programs where that's available because so many kids don't have any idea how to manage their emotions, how to, you know, how many of us, because we were in the church, were told not every thought you have is your own. Right. Right? And some of these kids, they just, they have no ability to say, oh, that maybe that thought didn't originate from me. Maybe there's something in the spiritual space that is trying to persuade me. Um, but but if you're not taught that, you yeah. just let everything run over well, you. Well, in fact, to the opposite, we, we see a marginalization of religion and stigmatizing of the religion because mm-hmm. of the way it's treated in our in our schools today, where if some a kid's caught praying, they get in trouble. Bible's not allowed. And so there's, a, there's an open hostility toward the very thing that could be a part of the solution to this growing rise of anxiety and depression. Yeah, and I think... Um, with the rise in, of the, the psychological self is also an indication of how um, much humanism has had a, a role in our, in our um, society. And, you know, when you follow your own path, the, I mean, the Bible's pretty clear that way leads to death. All right, Dr. Bowens, we're, we only got a couple more minutes, and I, I, I got to get to some solutions. So yeah. what is the way forward? Let's look at it two ways. One, corporately as a society, but first I want to go to to parents. How can parents help their children that may be drawn into this vortex of anxiety and depression? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the Bible's clear about training up a child in the way that they'll go, you know, they should go and they won't depart from it. One of the things that I think has been lacking in um, in our American churches is really helping children with discernment. Um, I think, you know, certainly we could go a lot of different directions with this topic, but I think one major thing that we as, as Christian parents need to focus on is teaching your kids how to discern right from wrong, because we're in a time where right is called wrong and wrong is called right. right. So we certainly need um, the, the biblical understanding to, to discern that. But also that means talking to the Holy Spirit. And having a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that we know, because not everything is in the Bible, and that's why we have, we have both the Word and the Spirit. And um, we need to teach our children how to, how to hear, when we hear different thoughts, to say, is that mine? Is that really something? Does that bring life? Right, you got to measure it according to the principles of the Scripture. That's right. And evaluate it and have that discernment. And so I think that's really something that we can 
um, to to grow in as as a Christian body and Christian families. Um, Would another way for churches, you know, that's in the family, in the mm-hmm. home, but for the so many children that do not have that exposure, you know, are there ways that churches can reach out and be more involved in the community, even with their local schools? Yeah, um, you know, I I think um, we can certainly offer programs and and, and place safe places. And and I, I do want to say this, Tony. Um, you know, we're we're hearing a lot of bad news, right? And it's it it can sound dire, but I would say I would encourage our um, our listeners that this is actually our finest hour. And this is our time as the church to rise up because the world does not have the answers and right. we do. And I, I believe that one of the things that the Lord is doing in in our our the body of Christ is he's getting us ready to receive the harvest. And so he's dealing with issues of unforgiveness or, or things that are footholds for um, the enemy. That's a really good point to uh, to end on. Of course, I would rather not end. I'd like to continue this conversation. But in the darkness, our light shines brighter. And mm-hmm. we have to be healthy and well, as you said. The, the Holy Spirit's leading the church to deal with these issues so that we can be prepared to lead and help others. But the last thing we need to do is shrink back from the opposition that wants us to go away and be silent. Dr. Jennifer Bowen, it's always great to talk with you. You too. Thanks for having me. All right. And folks, great to talk with you as well. Thanks so much for joining us today. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.